Welcome to Seeing Beyond Risk, a podcast series by the Canadian Institute of Actuaries. My name is Jill Harper, and I'm the Vice Chair of Communications on the CIA's Research Council. In this episode, we'll be talking about a new research paper called Research Paper on Accident Benefits Long-Term Disability. If you're interested in learning more about this paper, you can find it as well as all other CIA research papers by visiting the website at www.cia-ica.ca, navigating to the research tab at the top, then selecting research projects. To help us introduce this paper, we have Antu Lee, Adam Pelishok, and Sherry Fang on the phone today. Antu is an associate with the Canadian Institute of Actuaries, a fellow with the Casualty Actuarial Society, the executive director of KPMG's Canadian Insurance Practice, the project lead and co-author on this research project. Adam is a fellow of the Canadian Institute of Actuaries and a fellow of the Casualty Actuarial Society. He's a senior manager in KPMG's Canadian Insurance Practice and acted as a peer reviewer and subject matter expert on this research project. Sherry is a senior actuarial analyst in KPMG's Canadian Insurance Practice and was the project coordinator and another co-author on this project. Welcome to all of you. Thanks for joining. Hi, Jill. Lovely to be here. So let's dive right into this project. Can you briefly give a summary of what the motivation behind the project was? Sure, Jill. The One of the key motivations for this paper was that, one, it's been over 25 years since the CAA last published um, a methodology of establishing tabular case reserves for accident benefit long-term disability claims, or ABLTD, we call them. The last paper of a similar nature to this was done, uh, you know, as I mentioned, 25 years ago with Jim Christie in 1992 and an updated paper by Jason Mochtinger at uh, 1994. So it's been long overdue to have this paper um, be updated. One of the major areas and improvement that happened in the 1994 paper or that was mentioned in the 94 paper was to use more years of data because the Mactinger paper only had three years of observable data, which was used to try to calculate a long duration tabular reserve table for ABLTD claims. And so when we took over and updated the most recent paper, we used the Ontario uh, Auto OSAB data, which has data from 1995 to 2012, before it ended in 2012, which significantly e- increased the data that we had available to model. And on top of providing um, similar to what was done back then 25 years ago, we also wanted to expand it by trying to figure out what other classifications could we provide these um, annuity factor tables for the company, as well as trying to bring it into the new age with predictive modeling and using general GLMs. And one of the great outcomes of this paper when using GLMs is that we've created an Excel tool in order to help the company give them a framework of what the GLM is and use their own data in order to parameterize the model appropriately. So you mentioned data and uh, some of the challenges relating to data. How did you source and process the data that you used? Yeah, so this this paper was a classic example of how important data processing is to a GLM from front to back, from sourcing data, scrubbing data, processing data, manipulating data. We had made the decision or we had had the conversation of whether we wanted to go directly to companies and and ask specifically for data or see if we could use the now retired 
Ontario Auto ASAP, uh, OSAB data from from IBC, and after enough discussion, realized that that was probably the better option. Um, so we got uh, authorization from companies and IBC in order to use the data, and that data was actually represented about 65% of an industry GWP and over 45 million transactions. But on top of that, you know, when you get industry data, when you don't have control over that data, it comes with its own problems. And chief among them was classic things that you see of data of fields not being filled out, some fields not being filled out correctly, some fields changing over, you know, the transactional data that you followed on a particular claim. For example, the loss date had changed, or, you know, in some cases, the birth date had changed, or even the gender had changed. So when you're dealing with 45 million transactions on not a complete monitored data set, then you're going to have those issues. And one of the, the key issues that we had in this, um, in using this data for our purposes was trying to handle lump sum amounts and both at the beginning of a claim and at the end of a claim when you want to, when you're trying to catch up on your transactions and you just say, here's a, an amount that I happen to represent multiple time periods. And so because this paper or this model is meant to be essentially create an annuity factor for a stream of cash flows that we those lump sum amounts shouldn't be present in our data because it's not going to be represented in the model very well. So what we had to do is spend a lot of time thinking about how are we going to extrapolate the data both at the end of a claim life and at the beginning of a claim life. It certainly was took a lot longer than we expected, but in the end, just goes to show that in any GLM that you're doing or want to model that you have to spend a lot of time understanding and going through your data and validating it. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of work. So let's talk about what you learned a little bit. What were some of the key takeaways from your modeling work? Thank you, Joe. So as Adam mentioned, uh, the final model we picked is a GLM model. Before picking our final selected models, we also tested on multiple families of models, such as fitting single curves um, using survival models in already like built-in softwares, or even fitting of 3D services. And eventually, we pick up the GLM model um, just because we all know that the GLM model is bringing a lot of advantages in terms of ease of calculations and interpretations of different variables. So similar to other PNC models, uh, we tested both frequency and severity for the LTD claims. Uh, so frequency here, we're just talking about the survival rate for the claimants under LTD claims. Um, so survival rate here is actually referring to a probability of claimants remain disabled comparing to the beginning cohort of the claimant. And severity over here is simply referring to the weekly benefits amount for the LTD claim. Uh, we tested both, um, but eventually we realized that the severity, severity model does not give a really predictable model because the maximum weekly payment for uh, income replacement coverage is only at $400 per week, which is also like one of the recommendations of the 1994 paper. It recommends future studies to investigate the benefit amount. So investigate the benefit amount and turns out um, the 400 maximum cap, it truncates the severity distribution and it makes no huge difference uh, between claimants. So eventually our final model is a pure frequency model for the LTD claims. 
And as I mentioned, we investigate the data and we try to introduce new categories for our final model, such as the regions for GTA region and non-GTA region. And we also adopted the um, original variables used in the previous paper, such as claimant age, genders, and claim durations. Besides all that, uh, we also considered the interaction between variables, such as age and duration. So the intuitive way of think about it is, if you think about a 20-year-old claimant who got injured, it's likely for that individual to receive a longer payment compared to a 60-year-old who got into a similar injury. Another interesting thing we considered when we're building the GIM model is we introduced a hinge function. So in general, the survival rate for LTD claim should be monotonically decreased. And the shape of it is more like, if you imagine the shape of it is like your elbow. GIM is not particularly good in fitting such curves with one single equation. Uh, but introducing the concept of a hinge function for this prediction, it can improve the goodness of fit and it eventually improves the smoothness of the curve, uh, which gives us a more reliable result for the model. And at the very end, uh, we also did model validations, not only that we used traditional model validation tools such as the lift curves, the KS test, and the QQ plots, um, but we also used heat maps. Um, in terms of the heat maps, it just assists us to visualize our predicted values to see in which areas we have a more prudent case estimation. Um, so for example, one of our observation is that our predicted value for case estimates is more prudent for non-GTA region and for older populations. So considering that, a company who's writing more business in that region or for that age groups, um, they may take special considerations when they're doing their um, case reserves or valuations. But overall, like our um, fitting is pretty good. Interesting. So using what you've demonstrated in your paper, how would a company go about implementing predictive modeling into their processes? And what are some things that they should pay special attention to? Now, that's a great question in terms of implementation. Uh, the first step that I would take is actually do an impact assessment, and this is the same kind of step with any project of, of that nature. As Sherry and Adam has mentioned, there could be some differences in geography, in gender, in age between what you have as a portfolio in your company versus the sampled companies. So you need to understand what are those differences. Are they sufficiently different to actually uh, have to adjust for that? So a, a comparison between your case reserves volume under your current practice and the new uh, model would be uh, the first, uh, very first step. The second would be on sensitivities about the changes in interest rates, how it's going to change if the interest rate is changing by 10 bips. Once you have the impact assessments completed, then it's more some operational decision points, uh, such as uh, do you want then to uh, use the parameters based on the research paper, or do you want then to adjust it uh, to reflect your own data? And that is uh, uh, possible only if you have a volume of claims that is credible. Uh, the other decision point is uh, how often you need to change your interest rate. Is it going to be once a month, once a quarter, once a year? Then the third decision point is more deciding who sets the case reserves. 
So do you get tabular reserves that are on your Clean system? Is it based on Excel tools that are on your Clean adjuster's desk? Do you need also a program on your actuary's desk? So how are you going to transfer those case reserves and store them in your claims database or in your financial statements? Once you have those operational decisions in place, then it is part of the impact on the A work that needs to be considered. You still need to have some IBNR, but the volume of IBNR may change from your current practice versus the, the new practice. Uh, it still needs to recognize a little bit of that inadequacy for your past tabular reserves, for example. The old IBNR will also reflect some of the changes in interest rates. Now you have that as part of your case reserves, so you don't need that as much of your in your IBNR. What you will still need is true IBNR or IBNYR. And when you're doing your analysis and you're looking at your triangles, it's going to affect your triangles uh, because your history is going to be under the old case reserve practice. So then there are questions of, do you want to restate your history with the new case reserves or do you use other techniques like the Berkowitz and Sherman? Once you are, have determined the IBNR required and the process for that, then there is the, the impact on the financial statements. So lots for people to think about. What about next steps uh, in terms of research in this area? What kind of next steps or considerations do you see on this topic? Uh, there is actually a short-term next steps. It's actually uh, looking into what is the effect of COVID-19 on those uh, tabular reserves. Uh, we know that a number of insurers may have experience some uh, changes in their claim settlement uh, because of the confinement so they may have seen uh, slower recoveries in terms of accident benefits uh, it may have increased their uh, severity in some cases should it be current model should it be new model the formula in the uh, research paper is not dynamically adjusting for that change in environment. So it is still need to be considered in the IBNR. On the long term, when we are thinking about the post-COVID uh, environment, uh, we are thinking, okay, it may change driving habit from one region to the other. Certainly it will uh, affect the frequency or the severity. Again, the uh, proposed model in in this research paper is not affected by a change in frequency because we are looking at severity of a claim when it is known and reported claim. But then on the severity side, there's still a little bit of, of monitoring to be done from there. And Sherry is actually going to address a little bit more in terms of the research longer term, how, how much more thought so, uh, needs to be taken into account. Thank you, Ansel. Um, I'll just add a few more points uh, for the future considerations. One of the considerations is that um, because we know that um, the OSAP plan has terminated in 2012, um, but this research paper is using um, an industry database. So for future studies, a repository of industry data is still preferable. An individual company can decide to use their own data um, and use our paper to build their own models. Um, but eventually uh, that model will not be at the same 
granular level. Um, so for future research, an industry database would still be beneficial. And then another consideration is um, the database should consider collecting data for like a longer period. Um, as Adam mentioned at the very beginning, the OSAP data collects uh, data since 1995 and it terminates in 2012. So it gives us a, a good of 18 years of data. Uh, but we know that the LTD claim can go beyond 18 years. So if future researchers can have a database that contains data more than 18 years, they can better study the claimant's behavior uh, beyond 18 years. Uh, another thing that we were not able to consider in this research paper due to lack of data is the uh, impact of uh, severity of injuries, um, individual incomes, or occupation classes. Um, so if future research can consider those factors um, into their studies, uh, it may help them to study the claimant's behavior even better. Makes sense. Thank you all for joining us today and for sharing your thoughts. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Joe. If you want to learn more about this study or any other CIA research project, you can do so by visiting the website at www.cia-ica.ca, selecting the Research tab at the top, then choosing Research Projects. In the Research tab, you'll also find a link to share your research ideas, and you can use that link if you have any ideas or comments that you wish to share about CIA research. We always appreciate your feedback, so please don't hesitate if you have anything to share. My name is Jill Harper, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of Seeing Beyond Risk.